Let's turn our Bibles together to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 can be found in these black Bibles in front of you on page 61. Page 61. When I say Exodus 20, it's the larger chapter number, and then we will, throughout this service, be referring to different chapter numbers and verse numbers. The verse numbers are the smaller numbers. I'd really encourage you to all have your Bibles open. If you didn't bring one, use the one in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, I'd encourage you to just take that home as our gift to you and read God's Word and see its truth and its power as it can transform our lives as we apply it to our lives. I want to begin by reading the Ten Commandments again. We're going to key in on verse 7, which is the third of the Ten Commandments. But in its context, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 20 and hear them all again. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. As I said, this week we will look at the third commandment. Next week we will look at the fourth commandment, which starts on verse 8 about the Sabbath. And really these next two weeks, starting today, we're going to see two commandments that some of you might have heard of before, but I think both of which taking the Lord's name in vain, and remembering the Sabbath, have much confusion about them. One of the biggest misunderstandings of the third commandment is that I think many people are tempted to think, ah, it's not really that big of a deal. Like, really? God cares about how we talk about his name? Some of you might feel that this is petty. If I stub my toe and I say, Jesus Christ, in a curse word type fashion, God's going to punish me for that? I shoot my golf ball into the water and I curse, oh my God. As we begin thinking about this, I want to share a story with you that I think will help illustrate why the third commandment is, first and foremost, a really big deal, and how, secondly, misunderstanding the third commandment can sometimes lead to a matter of life and death. 
So the, the third commandment's a big deal. And if you misunderstand it, it can be a matter of life and death. Hear this news story from North Carolina. The day was August, April 6th, 2008. A 52-year-old man named Gary Parnell was getting some work done at his desk in the bedroom of the home he shared with his girlfriend, Donna Redding, in the mountains of Marietta, North Carolina. Gary's brother was there with him that day, and he was doing work outside of the house. He later testified that 15 minutes before an incident occurred, he went inside the house and briefly saw that everything was fine. Nothing strange or unusual was going on, but all of that was about to change when 15 minutes later, Gary's brother and nephew, working outside, heard a loud noise. The two rushed quickly in to see what had happened. They came inside and saw Donna Redding. She told them, I shot and killed Gary. When Miss Redding was being questioned by the police about why she killed her boyfriend, she said all kinds of scriptures, quoted the police, and never once denied shooting Gary. She had told them that the two of them, Gary and herself, were arguing over what music they were going to play. One of them wanted rock and the other wanted country on the radio. And then in her courtroom testimony, Miss Redding explained that she had shot Gary because he is the devil, and Jesus told me to do it. When she was asked by the prosecutor, why do you think that he is the devil? She said, because he kept saying the Lord's name in vain. Now, I heard this story this week, and I thought, there's no way that's true. And so then I researched it, and I found this very news article that I read to you. This is a true, sad, awful story found in the North Carolina News Archives, and it's clearly a bit of an extreme case that illustrates, I think, the point that I just said. If you misunderstand what it means to take the Lord's name in vain, it could be a matter of life and death. I'm hoping none of you are thinking as you hear that story, man, that Gary guy, he had it coming. Instead, my hope is that by the end of this message, you'll be thinking, what does it really mean to be guilty of the Lord's name in vain? And who in that story, was it Gary or was it really Donna who was taking the Lord's name in vain? As you hear through this morning's message as we consider, I want you to be thinking too about, are you like Donna and believe because you don't say, oh my God, as often as maybe other people, that you're innocent of the third commandment and you think God just needs to judge everybody who does? And finally, do any of you think that your fate will be any different than Gary's? Do you view the matter of breaking the third commandment as a matter of life and death? Or is it, ah, it's not that big a deal? Those are some of the things I want you to be thinking as we go through the third commandment this morning. But before I give you the outline, I want to remind all of us, because I didn't say this in any of our previous messages, I want to remind us that the Ten Commandments were given for three main uses. I think this would just be a helpful thing for all of us to make sure we have in mind, and I'll explain why this helps you think through the outline for the rest of this message. The three uses are this. First, the Ten Commandments and God's law is given to reveal the character of God. So when we read God's law, it's a reflection of what he cares about. And what he cares about then tells us a little bit more about God. Secondly, the Ten Commandments expose our imperfect character and therefore drives us to a need 
of a savior, of forgiveness. And thirdly, God's law and his commandments instruct people who already have been forgiven how then they can live as forgiven people. Hear those three one more time. The Ten Commandments in particular, but all of God's law in general, they teach you more about God, they teach you about your need for a Savior, and they teach you about how to live as someone who has been saved. Now, I share those three things because in my outline this morning, our first two points are primarily going to focus on teaching you how to live, especially if you're already saved as a Christian. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then these first two points are going to help drive you to Jesus Christ, to see your need for Jesus. You need a Savior. You are a breaker of God's commandment. So, our first two points are, let's consider our lips Let's consider our lives. And thirdly, let's consider our Lord, Jesus Christ. Our lips, our lives, and our Lord. That'll be the outline for this morning's teaching. And I hope and pray that it will be useful as we think through God's law. First, let's consider our lips. Let me read the verse again in verse 7 of chapter 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Most people read that scripture passage or think about this commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and they think a lot like Donna in our story. They think that they've not broken this commandment or that the only way to break the commandment is to use Jesus or God's name like a curse word. And is that really what it's all about? Like, let's put it this way. God's ten commandments the summary of his law, the requirements for all believers. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not bow down to false idols. You shall not have foul language and a little potty mouth. Now, does that seem a little off to you? Like, okay, first and foremost, I get it. You shall have no other gods before me. That's that's a big deal. I shall bow down to idols. And then right after that, the third of the Ten Commandments. Many people think that they're in order of priority. The third one's about not saying curse words. Really? Do you think God's up in heaven wanting to wash your mouth out with soap like my mom did every time I said a bad word? Well, throughout this message, I'm going to argue that the third commandment does include what we say with our lips. It does. And I would say even primarily it's focused on what we say about God. But it is not limited to what we say with our lips. It is much more than the words we say. It's not just about good words and bad words. Rather, this commandment is about our lips as a reflection of our whole lives, which is why point two, we're going to consider our lives. So let's first, before we move to that point, let's think about what it means to break the Lord's commandment, use his name in vain, with our lips. In sum, we break the third commandment whenever we speak God's name and we make it empty. That's what the word vain means here in the text. Whenever you speak, you use, you take upon the name of God and you empty it of its meaning. So let's consider and meditate what are some ways that we, as humans, empty out the name of God. First, we empty out God's name in our worship. Have you ever sang songs that speak about blessed be your name, but you're really just kind of going through the motions? 
empty songs, empty heart. My lips are praising, but my heart is far from God. That's taking God's name in worship in vain. Some of you might need to feel a little convicted right now that I've already done that this morning. And the three songs we sang this morning, we sang all about the name of God. And man, I was thinking about a million other things, and it just was meaningless worship. Ma, 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 ma. You're just talking. When we pray and use God's name irreverently in our prayers, we can use the Lord's name in vain. For example, some people will say God's name so repetitively that it's just like, hey, Father, God, God, Jesus, pray, God, 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 and they're not even saying anything. They're just saying God's name again and again and again. And Jesus instructs us, don't just repeat words over and over and over again as if that's going to be some holy prayer that you said God a thousand times in your prayer. That's taking the Lord's name in vain in our praying. In fact, Jesus' own teaching, how should you pray? Do you all remember the Lord's prayer? Our Father who is in heaven and the first request of the Lord's prayer. What's the first thing Jesus wants to be on your tongue as you speak to God in prayer? What is it? Hallowed, holy, the name of God. I wonder, does that set the agenda for all your praying? Because anytime you're praying and your agenda is mostly just you, not the glory, fame, and goodness of God's plans and creation, you're not aligning yourself with the will of God, then you are praying in vain. He shuts his ears to prayers that do not pray, hallowed be your name. God, I'm going to ask a lot of things right here, God, and I just want you to know that my biggest prayer and my finite, humble attempt is I want your hallowed name. Any prayer falling short of that is taking God's name in vain in our praying. Furthermore, I think some people use the name of Jesus at the end of prayer just as like hanging up the phone. And in Jesus' name we pray. That's not what that means. It's not, okay, how do I end the prayer? I need some special words or formula. Oh yeah, in Jesus' name. The whole point of that phrase is to say, now in everything that I just prayed, in the name of Jesus, for the good of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, amen, make it so. Do you see the difference? How you could use the name of Jesus as just some rote words that you've been, well, that's just what everybody else says. It's meaningless. Or does it have some substance to it when you say, in Jesus' name, amen. So we can take the Lord's name in vain with our lips in our worship. We can take the Lord's name in vain in our oath-taking. I say oath-taking or swearing, but I don't mean swearing like curse words, bad four-letter words or something of the such. I mean oath-taking like swearing. So fill in the blank. How many people, when they're in an argument, they can say, I swear to God, right? Like, we're not doing it now because there's meaning behind what we're saying. Or, as God is my witness, I swear on a stack of Bibles. That was a new one for me. I didn't know that until this week. People actually say that. Not just one Bible, like people put their hand and say, I promise to tell the whole truth, but nothing. I swear on a whole stack of Bibles, not just one Bible. You see what people are doing when they talk like this. They're saying, I need for what I'm about to say to have some higher authority than myself. And so I'm going to put God's name on it. I'm going to swear on a stack of Bibles. As God is my witness, I swear to God. And when we speak this way, especially when we tell lies in particular, 
when we don't tell the truth, and we're just doing it as this, well, I'm going to just make a strong point here. I swear to God. And you were, didn't you tell a lie? That's taking God's name in vain in a very explicit way. Ecclesiastes 5 tells us that you should guard your steps when you draw near to God's house. You should listen. For you should know that we should not be rash with our mouth, nor let our hearts be hasty or utter words before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, so therefore let your words be few. The early verses of Ecclesiastes 5 wants to remind you, hey, be careful with your swearing and pronouncements and promises before God. Just flippantly say, oh, I promise God, I will never do this again. You guys ever done that? Get convicted about something? God, I promise, if you get me through this situation, I'll never do, well, actually, I probably will. (laughs) But when we say those things and we say, I'm never going to do that again, I promise, God, I swear, you're taking his name in vain. This is why in Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, I say to you, do not take an oath either by heaven or the throne of God or by earth or by its footstool or by Jerusalem or by its city or the great king because in the time of Jesus, they didn't want to say Yahweh's name because they thought that would have been like too sacrilegious. So they just did a bunch of things attached to Yahweh. So they'd say, I swear by Jerusalem. I swear by the footstool of God's throne. And so there was this practice in the times of Jesus. And then he says, Do not take an oath in that way. So it doesn't even matter if you use the Lord's name. You see the spirit of it. And he says, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. We can take the Lord's name in vain in our promises, in our oath-taking, our swearing. Another way that we take the Lord's name in vain is in our prophesying. Well, you know, God told me that you and I are supposed to get married And then that's when you, especially if you're a lady or even a guy, that's funny. God never told me that. In fact, I don't think you're getting a second date, buddy. God told me, this was a story I heard this week. God told me that you're going to die at the age of 13. Could you imagine being a 12-year-old boy and have some older man in the church come up to you and say, God gave me a word and you're going to die at the age of 13. The man that told that story was 60 years old. He said his 13th birthday was one of the worst days of his life. Do you see what damage this does when we use God's name and attaching it to things that aren't true? And say, God told me that this is going to happen. Well, the Bible says you better be extremely sure of that or you're a false prophet. Don't just flippantly go around and say, well, I felt this way, and so I'm going to attach God's name to it and then tell somebody that God told me. Jesus told Donna, kill Gary. I don't think so, guys. I don't think that Jesus really told Donna, you should go shoot Gary in the stomach with a shotgun. Is that hard for us to figure out here? But see, if you misunderstand this commandment, you misunderstand this teaching, I mean, the consequences can be life and death. There's a story in Acts chapter 19 where a man takes on the name of Jesus in this way when he's prophesying. And it says in Acts chapter 19 verse 13, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists started to undertake the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. They said, I now pronounce you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. 
And then the seven sons of a high Jewish priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them and spoke back. So pause. Make sure we're all understanding this story here. Jewish, non-Christian, denying the name of Jesus, are trying to exercise demons. And so they say, well, our ways aren't working. Let's just take the name of Jesus and try that. It seems to be working for that Paul guy. So they attach Jesus' name and try and exercise some demons. And the demons talk back to these guys and listen to what they say. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? I mean, how cool is this? I know Jesus. I've even heard of Paul. I don't know who you guys are. And then the man who was evil with the spirit, he leapt on those Jewish men. He then mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. I bet it sure did. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was then extolled. You see what happens when you use the name of the Lord Jesus falsely. You might end up running out of a house naked, which would be humiliating. But Jesus always gets his praise. That's what I love about that story. His name will be extolled. Our Old Testament reading earlier in the service that Kenny read for us. A man blasphemed the name of the Lord. What was the consequence? Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord will surely be put to death. And the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native when he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. The sojourner or the native. So people of Israel or the people just traveling through Israel. You blaspheme the name of the Lord. It is death penalty in the Old Testament law. Not today. We live under the United States government law and they determine what the death penalty is and isn't. And we're to submit to that government. But if you were an Israelite underneath the law of the Old Testament, and somebody blasphemed the name of the Lord, the penalty was stoning to death. That's why I asked earlier, do you think that Gary's fate seems too extreme, or is there a sense to which Donna was way off, but not too far off? There is judgment coming for those who break the third commandment. With our lips, we can break the third commandment in our politics. Anybody ever heard somebody say, God bless America? They didn't mean it. Politicians, you ever heard of a politician that wants to use Christianity and go to Christian events, has no background in Christianity, no real life that influences or speaks of following Jesus, but uses the name of Jesus so they get votes? That seems to happen almost every election. I remember being a pastor about 50 miles south of here. I was at a meeting, and it was a local politician, and he was meeting with all the pastors, and all of a sudden, oh, interesting, this guy now really loves Jesus that he's in front of a group of pastors, because he wanted to convince all of us to now tell our congregations that we should vote for him. That's breaking the third commandment and using the name of Jesus for your own political advantage, not to honor and glorify him. Christians do this, maybe if they're not even politicians, but to make their political arguments sound stronger. Well, if you're a real Christian, then you'll believe this political stance. Anybody ever heard that recently? Well, how could you support this if you're a Christian? Now, there might be times where that's true. 
And there might be times where political discussions have a little more gray than black and white. And you should be careful of how you speak about political decisions and attaching the name of Jesus. That all true Christ followers will believe this political party over this one. This president over that president. This decision over that one. We can use not just our lips, but our fingertips as we blaspheme the name of the Lord and break the third commandment in our usage of the internet. I remember many times going to church services and listening to pastors say, you know, it would be really embarrassing if we use the screen behind me and we started putting all the words that you said this week for everybody to read. I started to think, that's an old illustration. We don't need to put your words up on a screen that nobody would know about, even the secret ones, because they're just on Facebook and Twitter. You want to know what people think these days? Just read their feed. You're exposing yourself and showing what you think about things. And my question for you is, how do you speak about God? Do you speak about God in one post and then about things that God hates on the next post? Do you put the little tagline, I'm a Christian in your profile, but then your life and your posting and your communicating is not Christian-like at all? That's speaking, I'm a Christian. I want other people to like me as a Christian, but you're really not a Christian. Anytime we use God's name frivolously, flippantly, so this includes swearing, this includes my earlier illustrations, but aren't you starting to see that it's so much more than just saying OMG? Whether we say those three letters or the actual, oh my God. Either way, when we use God's name in that way and not revere it as holy and honor it and lift it up, we are breaking the third commandment with our lips. Some of us might do this in our business deals. I'm a Christian business, but I'm going to be a shady businessman. Let me use the name of Christian so that way I get more money. In essence, we need to make sure we understand that the third commandment is about God's reputation when we say his name. About all that God is and all that he represents. And my guess is that you care about your reputation, don't you? So you don't think God cares about his? The third commandment is to scream at us, shout at us, Make clear in black and white letters, God cares about his name, about his reputation. First and foremost, the, the message of the Bible is that God makes his name to be great among all nations and peoples. He is about his glory and praise. And so we should be too. Not about our glory, not about our praise. And we should use our lips to speak of it. And anytime we care about our name and our honor more than we care about God's, we are breaking the third commandment. I just finished this last week the biography of Alexander Hamilton. And one of my biggest takeaways from this biography was the practice of dueling. Do you all know what I mean by that? Dueling? You guys like start pacing, you turn around, and then you shoot each other. I was not aware of how prevalent dueling was. In the book, it says that one French visitor came through the United States and said, the rage for dueling has reached an incredible and scandalous point. In other words, it's happening all over the place. 
Now, as I read through the book, the biographer made it clear that some people did not condone dueling, but many did, including Alexander Hamilton. And when he explained why he condoned dueling, this was the answer he gave. It was a way for gentlemen to defend their sense of honor. This practice expressed the craving for rank and distinction. And since Alexander Hamilton was always insecure about his status in the world, he was a natural supporter for the practice of dueling. Hamilton lacked a fortune, family heritage. And so he guarded that reputation jealously through his life. He was a man born without honor. And so he placed a premium on maintaining his honor. Do you see what dueling was about? Honor for his name. Alexander Hamilton was born with nothing. Everybody died by the time he was age 13, all around his family. He had nothing and came to America and made something of himself. And so he wanted to protect his name, even to the point of death. And so Alexander Hamilton, I'm sorry I'm giving you the spoiler, he died in a duel. The vice president of the United States shot him in his stomach and he died. People care about their name, don't they? You do too. So why would we be surprised that the third commandment is about the name and reputation of God? And if you're going to take it up, if you're going to bear it, if you're going to speak it, then you need to know that God cares about this. This is not petty, just uh, don't say bad words. That's the third commandment. It's about honoring him with our lips. And secondly, it's about honoring him with our lives. Since I said that this is not primarily what I think is in mind, I think primarily what it has in mind is when we speak about God in a prophetic way or a slanderous way and we disown and dishonor God's name in a blasphemous way, that's what I think the commandments specifically, but more broadly speaking, this is about our lives. And the word here about taking upon, it can mean bearing the name of God. So to wear it like it's a jersey, like that's my team, I'm on the God team. And so when I was in sports and I wore the jersey, they'd say, hey, on the front is your team name and on the back is your name. And that's for a purpose. You wear this across your heart and your chest. This is what's more important. Your last name, that's not as important. You live for your team. You you are the one who is supposed to represent your school and your community. So play the right way, they would say. And so it is with God's name. And when we bear it, and we not just speak it in our conversations, but when we attach it to our very essence of who we are, we can either honor God's name or dishonor it. So this, I think, is a very helpful way to think about it. John Frame, in his excellent book on the Christian life, said, Every sin, therefore, is a violation of the third commandment. Every sin is a violation of the third commandment if you call yourself a Christian. Because anytime you're sinning as a Christian, you're bearing the name of God on you and you are dishonoring God's name as you sin. In Exodus chapter 19, before the Ten Commandments are given, turn your eyes over there so you can see this connection between God attaching himself to his people and these commandments in particular. Look at verse 3. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain and said, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Do you see what God's trying to communicate to Israel? You are mine. Out of all the peoples of the earth, you are mine. I'm attaching myself, my power, my reputation, my name to you, Israel. So therefore, I want you to live a certain way so you don't dishonor me as you live amongst the nations. They are to be a kingdom of priests, all of them, not just one priest who goes before God, but all of them were to be priestly-like, where they go before all the nations of the earth and they represent God's character. And they do that by obeying these commandments. So these commandments are to help highlight how they are to live so that they do not dishonor the name of God as the treasured possession. Flip your Bibles over to Numbers chapter 6. We're going to end our service this morning with the benediction from this blessing at the end of Numbers 6. But I want you to see how the author Moses explains what happens after this blessing. So it's in Numbers chapter 6. This is page 114. Verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now that's the part I was familiar with. But look at verse 27. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. God's blessing his people is him saying, I'm putting my name on you. So do you want God's blessing? Then you're asking for God's name. And so walk and live your life worthy of the name. What I love about the early church is that when they were persecuted for the name, and they experienced beatings, and they experienced all kinds of slander and difficulties. They said they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy of the name. I wonder if that's you this morning. Worthy to just call the name of Jesus as your God, your King. It's not just for Israel that you take on the name of Christ. If, you've, if you're here today and you're a Christian, then you should have obeyed Jesus by getting baptized, and in your baptism, you were given a new name. You're placed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you rose again out of those baptismal waters. You were given the name of Jesus, the name of the Trinity, God, Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. You bear his name. That's what baptism is really all about as Christians, and Jesus tells us to go and then make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some of you here today, maybe you're just visiting or you're a regular attender. I want to help, sure, help you understand this is what we mean by church membership. In essence, church membership is you taking on the name of Jesus and us affirming, yeah, as far as we can tell, you have the marks of somebody who follows Jesus Christ. And then church discipline, it's opposite. So church membership is recognizing people coming into the church. Church discipline is us seeing your life and seeing your, your life does not bear the name of Jesus very well. It's bringing dishonor to the name, and that is a terrible, awful thing. So instead of stoning you with rocks and pelting you, that, that would be how they did in the Old Testament, we do the spiritual death penalty, which is removing you from the church and saying, as far as we can tell, you are spiritually doomed. You're not going to experience physical death. You're going to experience spiritual death. 
So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to helpfully show all of you the example that the New Testament gives about you bearing the name of Jesus and how your lives must be in accord with repentance and faith and that when we step out of line of repentance and faith and continual disobedience, that the church has every right and authority to remove you from their church in terms of their membership and their acknowledgement of your professing Jesus. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, page 954. And look at verse 1. It says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So are we all on the same page here? There is sexual immorality. It is of a severe kind. Even the non-Christians are looking at this situation that's happening inside of the church, between two people in the church, and the non-Christians are saying, ew, what are are they doing? And then the specific instance is given, for a man has his father's wife. Now, the reason it doesn't say mother is probably because this man is sleeping probably with his stepmom or something of that nature. Anybody grossed out yet? I mean, that's, that's the idea. You're supposed to be like, whoa, this is serious sexual sin. And so Paul says in verse 2, so are you, Corinthian church, are you arrogant? You should be mourning over this matter. And let him who has done this be removed from among you. And this is what I mean by church discipline, removing this person. And then now, here's why I want you to see this is connected to the name of Jesus and then why we do something like this. Verse 3. Paul says that even though I'm absent in the body, meaning that he's not physically with them, he's writing them a letter, and he says, I am present in spirit. And if I were present, so Paul's saying, if I was there with you, this is what I would have done. He says, I would have already pronounced judgment on the one who has done such a thing. So then his instruction to them is in verse 4. So when you are assembled, and do you all see what I'm seeing? When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. You need to realize that when we gather, we gather here as Embassy Church in the name of the Lord Jesus. We have assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are saying we are Christians and we bear the name of Jesus with our lives. So when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Why? That sounds harsh, Pastor Phil. That sounds like we're going to be a judgmental church if we do this. No. This is not about being judgmental. This is about saving someone's soul. Verse 5. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The reason why we care very much about church membership and church discipline at embassy is because A, many churches don't seem to understand that this is in the Bible, and B, because it is in the Bible, we need to make sure we recognize that being a member of Christ's family connects you to a local church of assembled Christians who also bear the name of Jesus. And when you start living an unrepentant, terrible sin like this, we will call you to repentance. We will call you to repent of these actions and turn back to the ways of following Jesus with all your heart. And if you refuse to do this, we will remove you from our church membership. Not because we want to just kick you out, but because so that you will come back in as a repentant, humbled person. Think of it this way. The death penalty in the Old Testament, stoning, was the warning. Do not blaspheme and take the Lord's name lightly. 
the spiritual death penalty of removing you from the church and saying, we're handing you over to Satan. We are, you are no longer ours. You're no longer one of us. You're outside. There's an in and there's an out. There's Christians and there's non-Christians. As far as we can tell, your life looks like a non-Christian. We will not allow you to go around and say, I'm a Christian. I go to embassy church. We don't own them. That's what church membership and discipline is about. Bearing the name of Jesus with your life. And We want to encourage and exhort all of you that if you're not a member of this church, you should join a church so that they can help you do this. Every sin is a violation of the third commandment. So let's fight sin together as church members. Or as Colossians 3.17 says, as we had read earlier in the service, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I hope by now you're starting to understand that this is very little about having a potty mouth. And very much so about your whole life. If you wanted to sum it up in a modern way, it's really identity theft. Do you think identity theft is a problem? Are you worried about it? Do you think people should be prosecuted for taking someone's credit card information and using that name and then exploiting their finances and their social security numbers and doing all kinds of terrible things with it? My guess is every single one of you would rightly judge that person and say, yes, put them to jail. That's messed up. I don't want them stealing my identity. Don't you realize that every time you put the name of Jesus on yourself and you start living like you can do that and exploit it for your own purposes, it's identity theft. God has given us his name. We have not named him. He reveals it to us and it's branded, it's patented, it's copyright, it's trademarked. You don't just take people's logo and say, hey, I want to start a coffee company. How about a green mermaid called Starbucks? Is that going to go well for me? I mean, I might make some money initially, but then I'm eventually going to go to jail. And that's what God says here in his word. This is a big deal. And so here, if you're today not a Christian, not sure, you're understanding, if you follow Jesus, you have his name on you, I want you to see that you're in big trouble. Our text says that he will not hold those guiltless who take his name in vain. God will bring judgment for anybody who takes his name or uses it flippantly or frivolously. For I will bring judgment. That's what our verse reads. Do not do it. Why? Why, Why shouldn't I take the Lord's name in vain? Because God cares very much about his name and he will judge you. Which brings us to point number three. Did you see why I said that the first two points really drive us to our need for a savior? You see how they instruct us. If you're here today and you're already forgiven in Christ, then you should take what I've just said in those last two points and figure out how you can examine to live your life more faithfully. But I think all of us, whether we're a Christian or not, we need to be reminded before we leave here this morning. Let's consider our Lord, the name of the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, in Exodus chapter 3, where we see the name of the Lord given to Moses. This is before the Ten Commandments are given, and this is Certainly important background information so we understand, well, what is the name of the Lord? How do I not take it in vain? Well, we've talked about how anytime we just use God's name, but what is it, Pastor Phil? What is God's name? Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13, 
Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God reveals himself and says, I am has sent you. It's just a a verb that says to be in the Hebrew language. And it's in the tense that's saying, I've always been and I always will be. It's kind of like that burning bush that he saw earlier in chapter 3. It's going to keep burning. It's going to keep burning and burning even if the bush doesn't burn up because there's a fuel and a flame that lets it last and live forever. I am is my name. That's where we get the name Yahweh from. His covenant name that's being referred to throughout the book of Exodus. Yahweh is the summary of I am. So turn with me if you would now to John chapter 8 so that you can see As Christians, 2,000 years ago, a man walked on the earth, and he decided that he was going to take up the name I Am, Yahweh. And in John chapter 8, on page 895, starting in verse 48, the Jews answered him, being Jesus, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I love that language there. I am honoring the father, but you are dishonoring me. He's thinking about the third commandment, honoring the name. Look at verse 50. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anybody keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. If you understand what's happening, verse 59 makes perfect sense. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. 2,000 years ago, a man walked on this earth. His name was Jesus. And he said, do you remember in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses was told, I am sent you? That's me. I am the I am. He's either telling the truth that he is the God of the Old Testament or he is blaspheming 
and the Jews had every right to pick up those stones and try and kill him. When you read the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the very accusation that led Jesus to his death was blasphemy. What more do we need? What more evidence do we need? He has committed blasphemy, Caiaphas said in front of the whole council on that night that Jesus was betrayed and led to his death. Blasphemy. Because he kept saying, I am. That's my name. That's who I am. I embody fully in my human body the fullness of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I am. Do you see the irony of this story? We started this morning talking about a story of a woman who said, Jesus told me to do it. The very definition of blasphemy. The very definition of breaking the third commandment. Jesus told me to shoot Gary. Well, why'd you shoot him? Because he kept saying the Lord's name in vain. Man, did she misunderstand it. And man, did these Jews in Jesus' day misunderstand. Are you misunderstanding? Or do you realize that the way to be free from the guilt that you deserve, the punishment that is coming to you as a breaker of the third commandment was because Jesus, the innocent one who was led like a sheep led to the slaughter, he did not open his lips, he shut them. And he quietly died for your sins of blasphemy. You can be forgiven this morning and experience forgiveness because Jesus took on the name of God and died for it. If that does not move you to want to live and die for him, turn from your sins and trust fully in Jesus, then friend, there is no other good news to share. There's no other message that gives hope. There is no other motivation that I can give you. God took on the name and died for it because you and I took on the name and lived for ourselves. This is the good news we have to proclaim every single Sunday and every day. And this is why we now want to live for God. Don't try and obey the third commandment because, well, we need to do it so we get to heaven. Heaven has been purchased through the blood of Jesus. Let's receive the gift and honor him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father,